Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Welcome to Jules Says. I'm Julie Jewels, grandmother, mom. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask me, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. J-E-W-E-L-S says at gmail.com. It's Father's Day this coming Sunday. Unlike Mother's Day, North America and the UK share the same day to celebrate all the dads. My own father, Ted passed away in 2000, so he hasn't been with us for some time. And when I was young, I used to think that as long as you had one actively involved parent, that was enough. And it is enough, because sometimes that's your only choice. And I do think it's better than having an actively involved toxic or abusive parent. And for me, that one actively involved loving parent was my mother. My father's role was to berate us as required and earn the money, which he did quite well, amazingly well, in spite of his excessive daily drinking. He was surprisingly successful, but he was very bright. I I often wonder what he could have accomplished if he hadn't been such a heavy drinker. He rose very quickly at the bank as a young man, then ran land development companies and a property management company later on. He was very bright witty, fun, a fun friend. I could see all of that. I could see that he had all these great qualities. However, I don't think he particularly wanted children. I never asked him. It never occurred to me. And maybe a lot of people didn't back then. Certainly today, they don't necessarily. But back then, birth control technology wasn't what it is today. And I think a lot of people just took for granted what society told them was the natural course of life. Get a job, get married, buy a house, have children. I think it didn't occur to a lot of people that you didn't have to do all those things or any of those things. It didn't actually, I mean, I certainly know that I grew up assuming that would be the case, though I did genuinely want my children. But Ted seemed to take an interest in me, at least, only if there was no one else available to sit at the kitchen table and drink with him. 
which could end up going in a bit of a bad direction. So after the first few times of feeling privileged to have his attention, I learned to be more cautious about exiting before things got ugly. Growing up, I didn't really think Ted had an impact on me as a person or how I felt about myself. However, as I had my own children and developed friendships with grown women, I started to notice a pattern. The women who had a nice daddy who loved them tended, and I mean, this is a generality, it isn't a guarantee, but it seemed to me that these women were often more comfortable in their own skin. They seemed, they seemed to have more confidence. They made better decisions for themselves at an early age. Could there be something there? Could a loving father inoculate a girl from seeking male validation, for example? I certainly didn't think what I wanted mattered until probably well into my 30s. Did my invisibility to Ted have anything to do with that? I've certainly had many, many conversations with friends about their fathers, among all kinds of other subjects. I am a chatter, after all. The self-confessed daddy's girls always made me wonder what that would have been like. It just, it's something that always would have looked foreign to me. And I wouldn't have dreamed of running up and kissing and hugging Ted. He used to barely acknowledge me if I ran into him in public. And sometimes he would jokingly insult me in front of anyone who happened to be there. I was used to him. That's just the way he was. But there were times that that stung. So I decided to invite my friend Paula to chat about her two fathers, biological and step, because she has the perspective of two very different types of dad. And in our many, many, many hours of chatting over a bottle of wine, I know a little bit about how much each of her dads impacted her, her self-worth, her ability to trust, among other things. So... Paul and I shared a bottle of rosé and sat down together. And this is our chat. Okay, I have my friend Paula here. I'm so excited. Paula, you were, you're going to tell us about your fathers. You were close to your biological father when you were growing up, weren't you? I loved him a lot, as a child would love their father. I feel like with my biological dad, a.k.a. the sperm donor... I remember only ever wanting to please him. See, I wasn't born a boy, so I wasn't as important, and I always understood that. And I overheard a conversation with my mom and him one day about it, and I guess I just overcompensated. So my love for him was very much around him looking at me as an equal. And then when did that change and how? I guess it only changed when my mom left him. Um, Up until that point in time, and I was nine years old, I had spent nine years of my life trying to please him, make him happy. And I just thought he was a hero, as most of us kids do see our dads at that point in time. And I slowly learned that heroes end up being zeros. To be honest, it's not like my dad was a mean person. He never hit us. Well, he hit my sister a couple of times. That was bad. But he never hit me. He was just not there. He wasn't present. He was absent. And typical European culture, Portuguese culture, you know, 
His job was to provide financially. But didn't your mom work too? Yeah, she did. She had her own business and she worked really, really hard. And he did too, but it was still her job. It's her job. Was he ashamed that your mother was working or was he supportive of that at all? Oh, he was supportive of the money that brought. Absolutely. He really liked his money. and my As mom long as it. she could do all the mom things. As she cooked, she cleaned, she took care of my sister and I, and she had her business, worked as hard, sometimes harder than him. She's a hairdresser. He's an auto mechanic. Um, they both own their own business. But my mom worked harder than him because he got to go to work and come home to a clean house and food and children behaving. That whole wait till your father gets home theory actually worked on my sister and I. And like one look across the room, we behaved super quick. So, yeah, my mom was just that. She was always the one taking care of everything. And dad just enjoyed the benefits of it and stayed quite absent in our lives. Were they already together, though, when they moved here from Portugal? Yes. So my mom got married to my dad when she was 18. Yeah. And he was 24. Um, Older man. Yes. (laughs) And um, they moved to France for a while. My mom wasn't happy in France. She moved back to Portugal. He stayed in France. And then my sister came along. Um, They moved to Canada. And then I was the first born. Were you born in Canada? I was the first born in Canada, yes. Oh, so you're first generation. I am the first generation. The envy of all of my cousins. (laughs) So you must have gone back to Portugal quite a bit to see his family, your mom's family. Yes, we were very close. My mother and my father would send us to Portugal every uh, summer, and we would spend three months in Portugal with our cousins and our uncles and our grandparents and had the best of all those worlds. But your parents stayed in Canada while you went home. Yes. So actually, funny story is when my mom and my dad came here when I was 10 months old, My dad told my mom that we should, that they needed to send us back to Portugal while they established their life here. What I found out later was that he never wanted children and sent my sister and I back to Portugal for almost a year Mm. um, while they, quote, unquote, built their lives. And when she got fed up, she came to Portugal to pick us up without his knowledge. Oh, Okay, so did you ever feel unwanted when you were little by him? Or did you, maybe you weren't aware of that? I don't know if unwanted is the right word. I would say unseen. We were unseen. Okay. He didn't want us, period. He wanted a life with my mother. He was very much an introvert. Um, he wanted sexy times. He wanted sexy times, but he also wanted to be left alone. And he, he's just not a people person at mm. all, at yeah. all. I think there's something to be said for nowadays we don't necessarily expect everyone to become a parent. And I think that's a positive thing. Some people don't necessarily want children. It's just that I'm sure your dad didn't think he had a choice. I know my dad probably just assumed that was the way it was. Well, I guess I can shorten it by saying I'm very thankful that I was born. I'm very thankful that he was a sperm donor, but that's about the extent of my life with him. When my mom left, when my mom left my dad when I was nine, it he never really tried with us kids, and it it was not an easy time. I felt very guilty. My sister felt very guilty. My sister really wanted my dad and my mom to be together. I remember not really 
thinking about them being together. It didn't matter to me, but I knew that I wanted both of them. But it was just too much for him. And by the time I was 11 and he met his woman, um, I call her the step monster. She's a horrible human being. <laughs> Am Ooh. I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're allowed to say whatever She's you want. a horrible human being. And, you know, at 11, I, I was very much still wanting my father to be present and a part of my life. And he would take us to these big Portuguese parties and dinner dances. And it was like midnight and I was tired and I was 11 and I was just done. And I remember sitting next to him and putting my head on his shoulder and cuddling with my dad. And she referenced a sexuality to that and that I was trying to be sexual with my father. You fucking kidding me? No, I'm not fucking kidding you. But that's what happened. And it, it destroyed the foundation of everything at that point in time. And she was very jealous. And by the time I was 12, the relationship was non-existent. So you must have been aware of how of her reaction. How how did that make you feel? Um, I was. Sh- I remember being very sad and shocked, and I didn't understand because at eleven, who understands that? I remember going home to my mom and my incredible stepdad, and I remember them telling me that it wasn't my fault and that I hadn't done anything wrong, and that an adult has to take accountability. Yeah, and then. I tried to call my dad and she would answer the phone and wouldn't let him talk to us. And by the time I was 12, the relationship had almost completely severed. But your mom was already with your stepfather at this point. How old were you when Joe was his name? Yeah. So it was like the same year. So I was still nine. So my mom left my dad. My mom had already known Joe as a friend. And I guess once she left, he just became a very good friend to her. And little by little, that relationship grew. I think that they were already in love. I don't know Mm. if they had a relationship or my mom was cheating, but she definitely had an affair of the heart. She was very much in love with this man. And when I was nine, um, about six to nine months after the separation, my mom said, you know, we're going to meet Joe. And um, my sister was 12, going on 13. And we were going to go to a movie. And it was when Grease came out. So I'm dating myself. And I I loved that movie. (laughs) And Heaven Can Wait had come out uh, with Warren Beatty. And so we were all out and we went out and I think it was like McDonald's or something weird. But, you know, make kids happy. You never eat McDonald's. I don't. And neither does my mom. Paula never eats junk food. I That's don't. why her skin is so good. And anyway, don't eat junk food, kids. Don't eat junk food. Stay away. Um, but no, they took us to McDonald's. And I guess it was like a good way to introduce, hey, this is my new boyfriend. So we were going to go to a movie and he's, you know... My sister said, you know, I really want to go see Greece. And my stepdad had said, at the time, we just knew him as Joe. So Joe had said, Greece is too greasy. And then my sister at 13 said, yeah, well, heaven can wait. So heaven waited and we went to go watch Greece. <laughs> what was your impression of Joe when you first met him? Were you, I know some kids deep down really want their parents together. Were your Mother and father, at least at the time, civil with each other? No, like not at all. When my mom left, it was like all of us died. And he didn't want to have anything to do with us. And he was a very horrible human to my mother. 
Um, he never contributed to us financially, like ever. My mother never received one cent from that man. God. And um, and my mother used to cook food and put it in the car with my sister and I and drive us to go see my father and would still try to take care of him and feed him. And my father would open the door and it'd be darkness and he would beg my sister and I, who were children, to bring his wife home to him. And it was it was it was a bit of a mess. Did he refer to your mom as his wife to you when you were little? As though there was like ownership or something? Well, he had a nickname for her. Her nickname was Lola. Uh-huh. But he really never called us by name. It was always it's it's funny because like in Portuguese we would joke around and my father didn't really call people by names. It was like he would bark at you. He would talk at you. Oh. So she was never Dina or Ishmaeldina. She was like Lola or just spoken to. Yeah. It was odd. But for you, it must have been normal because that's what you knew, right? Oh. Well, I think I knew because my mother was so unhappy all the time. Yeah. And I think I understood her unhappiness. And she would come to bed and she would sleep with my sister and I. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't sleep in bed with my dad. Oh, okay. So I think understanding how other kids would talk about their parents and seeing what other kids were coming to school talking about, that was never in my family. And my father was not an abusive man, and I don't want to to even make that sound like him. He was just absent, constantly absent, and he was incapable of showing emotion. He was incapable of demonstrating love. He... He just was. And I don't, you know, I feel sorry for him now. And as a, you know, 50-something-year-old woman, I can look back and think, oh, pity you. Like, yeah. yeesh. Well. Must suck to be you. He missed out. He missed out. He, he still misses out, right? I mean, as far as I know, I think he's still alive. I'm not 100% sure because I don't have a relationship with him. But I think I would have heard from someone at this point in time. But, yeah, you know, poor him. He missed out on grandchildren and family dinners and fun, crazy times, the worst of times, but he's missed out on all of it. And how fabulous his grown daughters are. Yeah, we're, you know, more important, like how fabulous his grown granddaughters are. They're fantastic humans. and They are. They're love. They're just love. And they love their grandparents to death. They're 28, 26. And there's three of them. Two of them are 28. My sister and I were both pregnant at the same time. And then my 25-year-old is going to be 26 June 15th. They're incredible humans. They're just freaking incredible humans. They are. I've met them all. You have, and you know them all, and they love you to bits and pieces, and you've seen them with their grandparents. They adore their grandparents. Their grandparents do no wrong, and they make time for their grandparents, and he's not one of them. Well, he is missing out. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, 
Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. But then Joe, when did Joe and your mom, I don't know, move in together or? Yeah, so I think um, that was about a year and a half in after my mom left. We had already moved into a condo and it was just my mom, my sister and I. And it was like a one bedroom because that's all mom could afford. And my sister and I had the bedroom and my mom had this living room pullout couch that she would sleep on. And Joe would just start coming over and would sleep over. And then one day she comes home and she's like, we're moving into a three-bedroom. How did you feel about that? Oh, we were super excited because maybe we'd have some space. And you already liked (laughs) Joe and knew him. Yeah, because, you know, by then there was like some camaraderie. We would see him like once every week, maybe two weeks. It was very slow introductions, but she would spend time with him. And we were a little, you know, my sister was... 13, 14, and I was like an old lady myself. I was nine going on 90. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were cooking for ourselves, cleaning. You know, we were latchkey kids, like a lot of children of immigrants are in this country. So we took care of ourselves and took care of each other. It was was small. Mm -hmm. It was small until we moved in together. And you felt good about that, though. It was good, but I didn't, didn't... You didn't dislike Joe or anything. Oh, I didn't dislike him at all, but I didn't like him enough to be like suddenly a father so I was hesitant so how did that evolve um I think it was the first week that we had moved in so first we moved in and my mom was like okay here's your bedrooms here's your things and then it was like a week or two after we had moved in that Joe started to bring his things so it wasn't like oh we're all moving in together Mm, okay I think my mom took the right approach And then uh, when he moved in, he came up to me and he's like, so my real name is Pollyanna. And he said, Pollyanna, can I speak to you? And I was 10. And I was like, oh, I'm such a grown up. An adult wants to talk to me and have a conversation with me. Oh, my goodness. So we went into the bedroom where he sat on the edge of the bed and I sat on the edge of the bed and he wore glasses and he took off his glasses. And he's like, I want to really have a conversation with you. And I said, "Okay," And he said, I don't want to be your father. I'm not going to replace your father. You have a father. But I really like to be friends. And I want you to respect me the way I respect you. And if we can start there, then that's our stepping stone. And so that's how he spoke to me as a 10-year-old kid. And um, I fell in love with him in that moment, like literally in that moment. Because you were being treated with such respect. Yes, and he wasn't absent. He showed up. He showed up by telling me that he wanted me in his life as a friend to start. And in that moment, I knew that it was going to be okay and that my mom was safe now and that we were safe and that there was a platform. He gave me a sense of security and he gave me a sense of being. Like I felt very absent in the eyes of men because, you know, my grandfather, my uncles, my cousins, like all the males in my life were not in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that on a day to bit day. Right. So all I saw was a fierce woman taking care of her daughters and leaving her husband and making a choice in the Portuguese community that was calling her a whore and a slut, labeling us that way. My father had labeled us that way. Us. Yes. My sister and I. So I, I think what? it was just your sister and you. Yes. Because we opted to live with my mother and stay with my mother. He chose not to have us in his life. And one day when I was 12, I'd already had a relationship with Joe. 
um, I called him and, and I said, like, I want us to have a relationship and I, I want us to move forward. And he said in Portuguese, tu és uma besta, uma puta e uma mentirosa, which is like, you're a liar, you're a bitch, and you're a slut. Your dad said that to you at yeah, 12. At 12. Shit. Yeah, because he had heard about Joe, I guess, through the Portuguese grapevine. And he expected you probably to be loyal to him and reject Joe, maybe. You know, I can't speak for yeah, what his that's conjecture, thoughts I guess. were. I don't know how a father speaks to his child that way. No. Wow. So, that's crazy. But it was devastating and it was it really fucked up my head. But then Joe, Joe became a part of your life. Joe was always huge. He would wake me up in the morning and he used to work at St. Joseph's Hospital as a cleaning supervisor. And he would get up at like six, six thirty in the morning and he would wake me up by clapping his hands. Get up and get at him. Mm-hmm. Let's do this sunshine. And I would wake up and we would have coffee together. Yes, it's bad. I was drinking coffee at 13. Nah, but he and I bad. would sit at the kitchen table and we would, you know, he would get the newspaper and he would get a pencil and I'd spin the pencil around and then plonk it on a letter in the newspaper. And then we would play country, city, food, actor, actress. Like it was one of those. And we would like, he would talk to me about politics. He never shut me down. Like I was the smartest thing in the universe. And he challenged my brain constantly. And he always had a moment to hear what I had to say. And I I was brought up with this incredible human, this man who was the foundation of the woman I've become and, and the things that I will and will not fucking tolerate, quite honestly. So he he had an impact on your self-worth. He was all my impact. He was all the impact on my self-worth. My biological father had no impact on my self-worth. If, if my father would have had it his way, you know, I'd probably lying, be lying on the street somewhere, destitute, and he'd be able to say, oh, that's what happens when you, you know, your wife leaves you, your children become nothing. I'm sure he would have loved to see my sister and I become nothing to blame my mother for that. So, And Joe was there. Joe was solid. Solid. 150%. That man was always, always there, turned up for everything. And everything he said, he meant. He spoke with his words. He was affirmative with his words. When I was going out and partying at clubs, he would say, like, call me. Like, if you, you know, I'll come pick you up, whatever time it is. I don't care if you're drunk, if you're, you're, you know, if you don't feel comfortable in the place you're at. And I can't tell you how many times I called him. And he would be there, too, 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd be drunk. It wouldn't matter. He'd come in his pajamas and his slippers, and he'd show up. We lived at, like, Eglinton and Roselawn. And we were at the Diamond, which is now the Phoenix. And a man would show up in, like, Florence Sherburn area, pick me up and take me out for a cup of coffee so that I wouldn't be too drunk when I got home. Wow. And so that my mother wouldn't have to see me drunk and we'd have, like, a coffee and I'd smoke in front of him. And I was allowed to be who I was. And he always told me how amazing I was. And that the smartest thing I did was that I always called him and I would tell him that the smartest thing I ever did was tell me that I could. He loved you. We loved each other very much. I I buried my father. The day he died, I buried my dad. I'm so sorry. I'm not, because what he gave me is, it was my pleasure and my honor to have been his daughter. And uh, it wasn't always great. You know, my mom and him broke up after 13 years, and that didn't stop our relationship. My mother and him stayed the best of friends, and... uh, you know, I was 23 when they split up, and he, he, you know, I was 30 when he died. 
But that's the way it should be, actually. Like, if you love a child, even if something happens between the two of you, that's the way it should be. It is, and it was, and it was. And he, he died with my mother and I there, you know? And his brother and his sister-in-law and his nephews and his niece. And just because they broke up, it didn't change his love for me at all. I was a small fry. How? When did that nickname start? Oh, my gosh. I guess it was, like, shortly after we all started living together. Small fry. I don't know. I don't even remember where that came from. I don't know if it was because we loved Little House on the Perry so much. And I was, like, enamored with... Michael Langdon's character and, you know, Half Pint. What was her name? Half, Half Pint. Pint. Half Pint. Yeah. And I think that that kind of, I loved French fries. And every time my mother would make the hand-cut Portuguese French fries, I'd be like behind her grabbing them as they were coming out of the fryer. <laughs> and I think that because I just loved that like whole idea of the little house on the prairie and what a parent, a father looks like to his yeah. daughter, small fry it was and it stuck. Joe sounds like an example of what a father should be, and a father isn't just the guy who donates the sperm. You know, a father can come in so many different forms, and um, the form that people consider to be the right form is the biological, and that's unfair to a lot of wonderful human men out there who have only ever done amazing, wonderful things for the children that they pick up the slack for and they need to be honored and they need to be remembered and they need to be thought out. And I think that no family looks the same. And, you know, I remember my my husband, my ex-husband and his father, rest his soul. When I came home after finding out that my dad had terminal cancer, I was working for one of the big fives and I I lost it at work. And they put me in a taxi and, and they sent me home. And my ex-husband and my father-in-law were there and they're like, what's wrong? And I was crying and I was inconsolable and I couldn't breathe. And I I said, um, my dad's dying and it's terminal. And my father-in-law looked at me and said, oh, my God, you heard from your father? But like, he's dying? And I said, no, my Joe, my like Joe, my dad. Like, mm-hmm. he's the one who walked me down the aisle, for God's sakes. Like, yeah. my biological sperm donor wasn't even there. Like, what do you, who Who are you? Like, when I say dad, I call him dad. I'd called him dad for, like, 21 years. Like, that was my dad. I didn't even understand that, you know, with, with no, like, malice. Like, he just doesn't understand because that culture is that, like, unless you're the real dad, like, that sperm hits the egg and makes that baby... Nobody else matters. And it's a it's a really fucked up situation in that mind frame. Like, so no matter what my dad did to my psyche, it's forgivable. But as long as he's not dying. And so when I said no, like my dad and they were like, well, at least it's not your real father. I'll never forget that feeling of like, you're disgusting. Well, needless to say, the marriage ended a year later. This was before you were split up from your ex-husband? Yeah. Oh, okay. But your ex-husband, he's also someone who unequivocally loves his daughters, even though you're separated? Oh, I I wouldn't have had a child with a man who I didn't think would be present, so... My ex-husband could be a lot of things, as exes are, but we're good friends and we have a solid foundation now. Um, But the one thing is, is he has inspired and motivated my daughters. He loves them. He has never abandoned them. They have never been absent. He's never called them a slut? No. (laughs) 
how crazy is what that? What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Especially when they're Portuguese. Don't they all call their daughters? No. no, no. All the Portuguese men who, or Portuguese women who might be listening, not all Portuguese men are like that. No. I'm no. just talking about one Portuguese man. Yeah. I'm not relaying this off to um, anybody else. Here's a, here's a tip for the dads. Don't call your daughter a slut. It's not going to help her self-esteem. Yeah. And don't call her a liar. No. No. Mm. If she lies, you talk about that one situation and why. You don't call her a liar. No. Anyway. I think for me, I just, I want to say to all men and all women who know good men, if you have a good man in and around your life, regardless of whether you have a daughter or a son, but especially when you have a daughter, allow good men to be available as advisors, as friends, as connections, because a man can make or break a a woman with their words and with the way they talk to that person. I don't even want to say it's a child, like they're little people. And if you have a strong male role model that adores being around your child and will say insightful things and, and give them great advice, always remember a girl needs that because the opposite side of that is an asshole. There's an asshole around every other corner. So put yeah. like strong, fabulous people around them. But fat them and don't leave them alone in a room. <laughs> I agree with you. I think the pattern I've noticed is that the young girls who grow up with a male role model who values them is more likely to make better decisions for herself when she's young. I certainly know when I was young, male validation was important to me. And I made a lot of my mistakes largely because I was seeking male validation. A lot of the women I know who had a man in their lives growing up, who listened to them, who gave them a sense of self-worth, seek male validation less. And they put up with less shit. I think it's important. It Your daughters is. don't put up with shit. No, they don't. And, you know, with me... And they're only in their 20s. They're only in their 20s, and they've never been called stupid by a man. And if a man tried to call them stupid, well, they're no longer in their lives. But I think, you know, for me, having Joe tell me I was the smartest girl in the room and the prettiest girl in the room, mm -hmm. and it had nothing to do with just how pretty or just how smart. It was just in his eyes. I was always going to be the smartest girl in the room, and I was always going to be the prettiest girl in the room, next to my mother. So I grew up watching a real love affair between a man and a woman and the way a marriage or a friendship or a relationship should look like, buying flowers for each other. You know, they did not split up because they didn't love each other. They split up for multiple other reasons, and that could be another story. But they still treated but each they, other with respect. He died... Like I said, my mother... So when I got married to my ex-husband, my mother and my dad were no longer together. My mother was already with her now partner of 28 years. They've been together. But they walked me down the aisle. My mom and Joe, my dad. And Nico had to put up with it. It was just one of the things he had to put up with. This is a real thing. Joe's not going anywhere. He's never going anywhere. And so that's kind of the way the family rolled. I think that's lovely. Is there anything else you want to say about Joe? Um, Sedetlek, I love you so much and I miss you and I think about you every day. And if you're out there listening to this, I know that you know. 
Happy Father's Day to all the wonderful fathers and stepfathers and father figures. We love you and we need you. Happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Thanks. Thank you. Now Paula and I are going to go have a glass of wine. Get the drink on. Thank you so much for listening. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a happy Father's Day. Have a wonderful week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.